Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. It's been a little while now, but maybe you recall the movie Toy Story. And if you've seen the movie Toy Story, and I think a lot of us have, you know that that movie is about a lot more than just toys. It's really about maintaining a sense of identity and purpose, a sense of humility, a sense of even one's destiny and possibility in life. As the movie opens, you remember the opening scene of Toy Story where... The young boy is having a birthday party and all the toys, they're they're wondering what's going to happen as this birthday party develops. It should be a fun event. But you you can hear the the worry starting to emerge. Will Will the little boy in the movie get something? Will Andy get toys that will displace the current toys? T-Rex wonders, will there be a bigger dinosaur? And I don't think, as I recall the movie, that Andy's favorite toy, do you know who Andy's favorite toy was? Woody, right? The cowboy. In fact, Woody was such a favorite toy that Andy was constantly going around in cowboy gear and, and, and had all his stuff revolve around this theme of being a cowboy. I don't recall Woody saying much, but you learn later on very much that he's worried about being replaced too. Sure enough, during the birthday party, a new toy does arrive, doesn't it? Buzz Lightyear. Man, Buzz has got all the latest features. And he is nothing like Woody because he's straight out of the the science fiction books. And man, can he do everything it seems like. He's got laser light. He's got voice simulation. He's got retractable wings. And most of all, he's got karate chop action. Amazing. And all of a sudden... Woody gets kind of a funny little look in his eye, like, what's going to happen to me? And gradually, and this is really what the movie plays out to be about, is Woody's fears. Fears that he is going to be replaced and displaced by this new guy that has all these features, Buzz Lightyear. As the pastor that's been here for a little while, I'm sure... You know that I can relate since Pastor Dan has arrived. He has all the latest features. He's much younger than I. He's a very compelling preacher. And you can understand when you have that fear, maybe I'm going to be replaced by this new toy. And maybe you have that too. Maybe you have that situation in your life where you've, you've got that worry and, and it's developing into a little bit of a, of a jealousy. And, and you have to catch yourself. And that's what we're talking about tonight. You'll, you'll remember that in these four battles, we've been talking about things that we all struggle with. 
Pastor Dan did tell me tonight that there was a reason why he got only one of the sermons and I got three of the sermons because clearly I struggle with more things than he does. But jealousy is something that we do all have to, to work on and worry about and it is, it is a sin and a problem truly of biblical proportions. You know, the story of Toy Story really has three characters. You've got Andy having his birthday. You've got Woody worried now that he's going to be replaced. And you've got, you've got kind of the, the goofy guy, Buzz Lightyear, who doesn't even at, at the beginning of the movie realize that he is a toy. How annoying is that? And yet... In the Bible, we find a very similar story, but not a fictional story at all. This is a true account of something that happened that was equally about jealousy, that also involved three important characters, and the theme revolved around the veteran being displaced by the new guy. And that's what we find in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let's take a look, and we'll read this together. I'll read it out loud. You can follow along silently. But 1 Samuel 18, 1-7 starts like this. After David had finished talking with Saul. Now, just quickly here. Saul is the current king. In fact, he is the very first king of Israel. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Jonathan is Saul's son. And he is the young man who would be king. He is the young man who should be, if, if tradition was followed, in the, li- in the line to, to succeed his father Saul as king. But notice it says that Jonathan and David became close friends. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. David was proving himself to be a mighty asset in the kingdom. He had defeated this giant Goliath as a young man. He was capable as a musician and a poet. And he was a good manager. In fact, uh, Saul soon elevates him to lead the troops of Israel. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because because he, he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now David was a poor shepherd boy. He and his family didn't have a whole lot. So for the king's son... To remove all this very vital, important stuff, it was, it was a huge gift. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Everything is going great. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing. Now they've come out, they're in the streets, they've got their instruments, joyful songs, timbrels, and lyres, and dancing. Now listen to what they sing. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. How does it strike you? 
Here's this young buck. We could call him Buzz, I mean David. And he's new and he's fresh and he clearly has all the latest features and he's starting to look pretty good. Even Saul has to recognize the skill and the ability that God has given this young man. He elevates him, but... All of a sudden, the songs are starting to elevate David maybe just a little bit more than Saul had hoped for. You see, one of the things you have to know about Saul is how he became king in the first place. The people of Israel had been clamoring for a king for a long time. And the judges and the prophet Samuel had been pushing back against the people, trying to keep them from asking God over and over and over for a king. And their biggest reason for wanting a king, do you know what that was? Simply their jealousy of the peoples around them. They wanted to be like the nations around them. They felt it was better not to just be led by judges, not to, not to simply have a prophet telling them what to do, all of which was meant to indicate that they already had a king and his name was God. See, when God set up the children of Israel as his special people, the idea had been not democracy, not oligarchy, but theocracy, God leading the people. But after God heard their clamoring over and over and over again, he finally relented and said, okay, I'm going to give you a king. When he goes to find the one that he has selected to be the king, to make a long story short, his name is Saul. He's the one we're talking about here. But this guy is so afraid, so not wanting to be king, that he literally hides himself in some luggage to try to avoid having Samuel the prophet come and anoint him and appoint him to be the first king of the people of Israel. He's drug out from behind the luggage and he becomes the first king and he does develop initially into a good king. But over time, his faith in God and his reliance upon God, as we'll see in the story tonight, begins to slip backwards. The thing that we see in Saul, though, the dangerous thing that we see in Saul, is this idea, hey, I didn't ask for this. I I actually tried to hide myself and avoid becoming king. But God, you came after me. You pursued me. And what I didn't ask for, you kind of forced on me, God. And now you owe me. You owe that you take care of me and keep me king. You owe me that I remain your favorite toy for life. No replacing me. I'm the one you chose. And Saul began to take on an entitlement mentality toward the kingship. And as he began to feel more and more entitled to the kingship and feel more and more that God owed him things, the further and further he began to drift from God. And do you know that that is the very definition of jealousy? We've talked about some of the other battles. For example, remember when Pastor Dan did talk 
uh, about the fact that we, we sometimes experience guilt. Well, not sometimes, almost every day. That, that really could be expressed as, I owe God. Jealousy is the opposite of that. Jealousy is saying to God, God, you owe me. So let's write that down. What jealousy is the belief that God owes me? Now, that can develop in a whole raft of ways. I I kind of described for you how it may have developed in Saul's heart. But it develops in all of us a little bit differently. And there was a man named James in the New Testament. Now, we're fast-forwarding hundreds and hundreds of years here to the New Testament church, to James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. And... He wasn't himself even a believer before Jesus' death and resurrection. But after the resurrection, James, the half-brother of Jesus, becomes a believer. And in fact, a very capable man himself. He becomes the head of the Jerusalem church. And people start coming to him. Even the Apostle Paul visits him because of his leadership in the, Christian, in the early Christian church. And if you read through the book that James wrote, titled, interestingly enough, James, and you get to the fourth chapter, you find these words. And he's addressing the Christians of his day. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Isn't James perfectly picturing what's going on in Saul's heart at this point? I mean, he's, he's writing this hundreds and hundreds of years later. And he's really not writing it about Saul, but it's a beautiful picture of what's happening with Saul. He's got these desires battling within his heart. Isn't this a beautiful picture of what's going on between Woody and Buzz Lightyear? And isn't it a beautiful picture of what goes on in our hearts? When we see someone else who has something that we want and we become jealous and we begin to think to ourselves, God, why did you give him that? Not me. God, why did you make her that way? Not me. And you you can look around at all kinds of different things and and begin to feel jealous. It, It could be a feeling of jealousy because someone has been given more financial resources or a or a feeling of jealousy because someone is more physically fit or more intellectually gifted or or more talented in some way that you wish that you were talented. And all of a sudden the thought arises in your mind, God, you put me here in this position. Just like Saul, just like Woody. Am I not still your favorite? Why have you not given me the gifts that you've given him or her? And those desires begin to well up inside of us. And as James says, we begin to to want to fight and quarrel about things. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Do you ever find yourself wanting to gossip behind someone's back? Do you ever find yourself in constant conflict with someone? And when you step back from that desire to gossip about them or, or get into conflict with them, is there perhaps a little bit of jealousy 
behind it. Desires that are battling within your own heart. Take a look at what happened with Saul when he heard that song. Saul was very angry and this refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. One of the things that us guys struggle with is respect. And do you see that with Saul? If I were to put Saul's words another way, I I would probably say, why is that young dude, that little whippersnapper, why is he getting more respect than I am? He's a newbie. I've been leading this nation for years. He, He comes along and all of a sudden he's killed his tens of thousands and I've killed my thousand. And in that... In that jealousy that's beginning to well up and those desires within him. And guys, we do this. He starts to become very competitively minded. Now I want you to ask yourself, could this have been handled another way? You know, I I heard another pastor one time preach about this and I've never forgotten what he had to say and I'm going to I want to share it with you cuz he said instead of desiring that respect and all of a sudden finding himself in this competition with David what if Saul had thought to himself let's team up instead of competition let's think collaboration and I'm going to bring David up into my chariot with me and then I'm going to put a big sign on the front of the chariot with my arm around David. And on that sign, it's going to say the 11,000 club. That could have happened. But instead, because of these desires that were welling up inside of David, he wasn't thinking collaboration. He could only think competitions. So, Write this down. Jealousy comes from desires that battle within us, within our hearts and minds. James goes on to develop that very thought. You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. Well, when I read that, couldn't help but think about this. A killing spree occurred on May 23rd, 2014. That's one week ago. Near the campus of the University of California, Santa Barbara, seven people died, including the perpetrator, Elliot Roger, 22 years old. Thirteen people sustained non-fatal wounds and injuries. That's seven dead and 13 injured. The spree began when Roger stabbed to death three men in his apartment. Leaving the scene in his car, he sped through the Ila Vista community, shooting at bystanders and hit four people with his BMW. He fatally shot two female students outside a sorority house and a male student inside a deli. Roger exchanged gunfire with police twice during his killing spree. The rampage ended when his car crashed into a parked vehicle and came to a stop. Police found him dead in the car with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. 
On the evening of the killings, Roger emailed a lengthy autobiographical manuscript to about 30 acquaintances and family members. The document, which he titled My Twisted World, was made available on the Internet and became widely known as his manifesto. Now listen carefully. Talk about desires battling within us. In it, he describes his childhood, family conflicts, frustration over not being able to find a girlfriend, his hatred of women, his hatred of racial minorities and interracial couples, and his plans for the killing spree. That's where it goes. That's where it goes. And and for some of us, it doesn't get as far as young Elliot 22 here. For some of us, it gets just as far as stabbing someone in the back with words when they're not around. For some, it comes at shooting them when they can't hear you by raging at home. For some, it's undermining them in the workplace or in the marriage. You're not taking it as far, but you still have those jealous desires struggling within you. Take a look at at this next verse. Saul went there. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house. And while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand. And what did he do? Tried to kill David with it. He hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Let's turn it over. You see, as you read through the Bible, here's what you're going to find. Wherever you find jealousy and envy, you're going to find the world's words quarreling and fighting. Right here at the top of the second side. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and what? Quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? And I want you to notice something else about these three passages. Flip back over to the first side. Can you tell me what is the most prominent word in James 4.2? What's the word that gets repeated over and over and over again? Just three letters. You. I want you to take your pen and underline it. You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. What's James trying to point out here? These things are happening because we're making it all about us, all about me. And and what James knew and what we know is that we all have a new man and an old Adam. And the you that James is addressing here is not the new man. He's saying, you're letting the old Adam take over. That part of you that is represented in in the cartoons by the guy with the little pitchfork, not the guy with the halo. 
And, and he is taking over and he is feeding these desires and making you more and more and more jealous until you want to fight and quarrel. Your old Adam, watch out for him. He's not your friend. Now go down to the next passage. There's an interesting phrase in there. Did you notice when, when we read it? The next day, an evil spirit from God. Did that strike you a little bit weird? That God is sending out evil spirits? Really? I thought God was the good guy. What does that mean that God sent an evil spirit? Well, for, for a great explanation of this, all you have to do is go to the book of Job where Satan himself, the most evil of evil spirits, the chief of all evil spirits, comes to God for permission to run Job through the mill. Now, was it really God that wanted him to do all of that? No, in fact, God tries to resist that. But in the end, God permits it. We don't always understand. We can't always fully explain God and how he works. But what we do know is an evil spirit, just like everything else in this world, cannot operate without God's permission. And so at times we get verbiage like this in the Bible And what it really means is that God allowed an evil spirit, truly sent from Satan, but he gave permission for that evil spirit, we don't know what all the reasoning was, to come forcefully on Saul. Was it perhaps one of God's ways of disciplining Saul and saying, do you really, Saul, want to see where this is going to end up? Let me, let me give you a little taste. If you don't get your jealousy and those desires that are, that are screaming for control. By the way, the word in James does not mean light desires. When, when he says you desire what, uh, what you do not have or even above, it, it, don't they come from your desires? We're, we're talking strong desires, cravings that are uncontrolled. And perhaps God is trying to show Saul here Look where this is headed, bud. This is not headed to a good place. What we do know for sure, even though we can't tell why God did this for sure, we do know this. The Bible is filled with references to another world that we cannot normally see, a spirit world. Filled with good spirits like the Holy Spirit and angels, and also evil spirits like Satan and his angels, the evil spirit mentioned here. Now, a lot of us in today's world, we find it difficult to believe because we can't see it and we can't sense it in any way. But in the Bible, it's very real. And what the Bible teaches us is whether we see it and sense it or not, it is still very real today. That Satan wants our hearts. That the king of all the evil spirits has armies of evil spirits at his disposal and they will come after us. And we need to be aware of that. Now flip back to side two. And notice the word that's used here. You are still, and I want you to circle this, worldly. 
For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Circle it again. Here's here's what we're seeing. That when jealousy comes up, it's not coming up from the good guys. And the Bible talks about three key enemies that all of us as followers of Jesus Christ are going to face. That first verse, you, keeps getting uh, repeated. Meaning, your sinful nature is going to come after you. That little Benedict Arnold that lies within every heart and mind is going to come after and try to get you to betray the faith to which you were called. The second verse, evil spirit. Satan is real. Demons are real. And they will try to pull us into their very real realm. And finally, the pull of the culture around us in the world. And so what I want you to write down is be clear, be clear. And in fact, I I almost changed the word clarity exclamation point. You might want to write this down in your notes to beware exclamation mark. Beware or clarity, the source of these jealous desires, it's not friendly. If, if you have these jealous desires battling within you, one of the very first things to know is it's either coming from your sinful flesh or from demonic forces or from the pull of the culture and the world around you. And none of those want anything good for you. Interesting how James takes the people a little bit further. Do you want to know why you don't have the things you so zealously desire? You see what he says in James 4, 2b? You do not have because you do not ask God. And when James says that, he points out a fatal flaw also in how Saul operated. If you read through the story of King Saul... One of the biggest downfalls that Saul had was that when he began to be afraid of events and afraid that things were slipping away from him, afraid that someone was going to displace him, when he was woody thinking that Buzz Lightyear was coming along and that fear began to drive him and those desires began to push inside of his heart, he wanted... And we've talked about this in every one of these four battles. He more strongly wanted to grab hold of the steering wheel and get himself back in control. Because when I feel in control, it's like a little salve on my emotion of fear. Unfortunately, it's a salve that doesn't really work. In fact, it's a salve that really does more damage than it does good. You see, there's a story in the Old Testament about Saul. And it's a perfect illustration of this point. In in their early history, the, the chief enemy of the Israelites was a neighboring nation known as the Philistines. And Saul would lead the Israelite troops out to fight the Philistines. And very often, they did very well because God blessed them. 
And they would defeat the Philistines again and again. But on one occasion, the Philistines came against the Israelites with far superior forces, greater numbers, greater weapons. In fact, this was a period in Israel's history where they really didn't have any weapons. The weapons that they were using were farm instruments because the Philistines had pushed them to the brink and taken all their weapons away. So can you imagine here the Philistines with with swords and spears and the Israelites are going out to fight them with shovels and pickaxes. And when the Israelites with their shovels and pickaxes began to see this massive army of Philistines facing them, much larger than they were, with their swords and spears, they all became afraid. And the Bible tells us they began to drift away. And Saul got afraid. And so what did he try to do? I got to get my own hands back on the steering wheel. I have to get this under control myself. And one of his ways that he thought that he could do that was by offering up an offering that was only supposed to have been offered up by the prophet Samuel. In fact, he already had an agreement in place with Samuel to come and offer that offering up. But Saul lost his patience and he took matters into his own hands and he did something that only the prophet was really supposed to do. Now he thought he was doing the right thing, but he wasn't. In fact, when Samuel arrives and sees that Saul has offered this offering up in his own vain attempt to gain control of this horrible situation with his troops drifting away, here's what Samuel says to Saul. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. What was Saul's fatal mistake? To take matters into his own hands rather than, as James says, through prayer, put them into God's hands. If Saul had taken, well, it wasn't written yet, but, it, but Saul should have known. He had a relationship with God. You do not have because you do not ask God. If you're feeling feelings of jealousy or inadequacy or fear, or whatever might be causing you momentarily to lose sight of your true identity, that you are God's dearly loved child, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, of your true destiny, that, that heaven is your eternal home, bought with that same blood, and shown to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you have a purpose in life that God has placed you here for, and that God says to you, nothing is impossible with me. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You see, that's what Samuel wished that Saul had remembered. And James would have told him, if you're feeling like you're in trouble here and your troops are drifting away and they don't have any real weapons... Don't feel jealous. Don't feel afraid. Simply go to God and ask him for what you need. Beautiful words of advice for us still today. So here's here's what we can write down. Jealousy is often the result of feeling like we have to take matters into our own hands rather than place them in God's hands. And when we do that, James finally says, check our hearts and check our motivations. 
God loves to answer his children's prayers. But obviously, God is not going to give us anything that would harm us, namely anything that's motivated purely by selfishness. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You remember I said in the beginning of this message that there are three characters in the story of Saul and David? Remember who the third one was? Saul's son, Jonathan. Man, you want to see an amazing example of unselfishness, fearlessness, courage, and a total lack of jealousy? Just look at Jonathan. Think about Jonathan, how worried he could have been that David was going to come along and take the throne that he might have had he been that kind of person, had he been ruled by his sinful flesh, had he been ruled by an evil spirit or by the cultural pull of the world around him, he could easily have fallen into what Saul had, his father had fallen into and said, David, back off, dude, the kingdom is mine. But we don't see that. In fact, we see the exact opposite. This this has to be a young man who is filled with the knowledge that he has a Lord who loves him, that he can ask God for anything he needs, and that he's not entitled. Yes, his dad is the king, but that does not necessarily entitle him to be the next king. He simply does, as I hope all of us do, he he trusts his Savior. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. Look at this guy, and he knows that he's going to be the next king. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. You see the humility there? The lack of entitlement? And just simply the pure gratitude for the blessings he, Jonathan, had been given? And that really is the answer. We have been blessed so greatly already. No matter what we don't have, the things that we do have, are astounding. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, assurance of exactly who we are. Can I say it again? Dearly loved children of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. A promise of an eternal home in heaven, in God's presence, enjoying all God's blessings. Blessings that you and I can't even imagine here and now. Adventures that you and I can't even imagine here and now. All waiting for us one day simply by passing through the door of death. Because Jesus, is he's already made our reservation there. And he's preparing a home there for us. You know your purpose in life to glorify God. You know how great your possibilities in life are. You and I, we have received so much already. Why be jealous for the little things that we haven't received? Why not be Jonathan? 
and approach life with a sense of humble gratitude. So the antidote for jealousy is just that. It's humble gratitude. So I don't know how you felt going through tonight's message. Have you taken note of any petty jealousies in your heart or mind? Have you, have you noticed maybe desires battling within you? Is there a place in your life where you feel like Woody or King Saul? Wherever that might be, can I just encourage you to take that sinful thought, that sinful idea to Jesus, to the cross, and know that it's forgiven? Have you been involved lately in some quarreling and some fighting? And remember the connection, wherever you see quarreling and fighting, there might just be jealousy alongside of it. Take that to Jesus because he forgave it too. In every one of these messages, isn't it interesting? We've, we've said this each and every one of these times, four times, that there is a good side to this, even jealousy. There is a holy jealousy because... God himself in Exodus 34 says, I am a jealous God. And look at what the Apostle Paul says. I am jealous for you. He's talking to God's people, the people that he had started a church in in Corinth. I am jealous for you people with a godly jealousy. I don't know if you ever realize there's such a thing as a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. And know this, just as the Apostle Paul was jealous for the Corinthians with a godly jealousy, your two pastors and the staff here are jealous for you to be presented to Christ because that's where forgiveness for the wrong kind of jealousy occurs. But even more important than that, Paul or Pastor Dan or myself is to know that your God, your Jesus, has a jealous love for you. He wants you to be entirely his. Heart, mind, and soul. And because of that wonderful, holy jealousy, God is going to relentlessly keep assuring you of his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his grace. He is jealous for you with a godly jealousy too. The last thing I'm going to mention is this. I hope as a church, together as a group of Christians, we are jealous for each other with a godly jealousy that that we want to present each other to Christ one day. And one other step, I pray also that like the Apostle Paul, we are jealous for those outside of this church family with a godly jealousy. Can I remind you of what I announced a few minutes back before the message started, that wonderful opportunity that we have in the coming weeks to reach out to young children in the Levine Elementary School District and and provide them with just some simple needs? 
you know, it's, it's amazing what those connections do and, and how sometimes they, they allow people to come in and know they're warmly welcomed in this church and hear about Jesus and hear about God's jealous love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness for them too. So as, as we go forward, let's remember this passage from James 1.17. Everything that we have, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Here's our bottom line for today. I battle jealousy by asking forgiveness for thinking God owes me. Then by asking Jesus to take matters into his hands and help me be grateful for what I've been given. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I do. I struggle at times with feelings of jealousy and anger and frustration welling up within me. And Lord, I know I am not alone in this room. I know that people coming here tonight have recently been involved in quarreling and fighting have been struggling to, to, to tamp down those, those woody feelings, those saw feelings, fearing that they're going to be displaced or fearing that they're going to lose something precious or looking around them and seeing others having things that they wish they had. Lord, we confess to you that this is our sin. And whether it's from our sinful nature or the spiritual forces of evil at work in our hearts, or even the influence of the world around us, we ask you for forgiveness. And we also ask you for strength. We thank you for Jesus and for the forgiveness he won for us at the cross. And now may you send us your Holy Spirit so that we may take on this battle against jealousy and in your strength, not ours, realize that we can have anything we want when we ask it from you. Help us to place our jealousy in your hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Let me send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thanks for coming tonight. We'll see you out on the patio.